Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room, Monday, October 9. We've got a big weekend coming up, of course. Everest Day at Royal Ramwick, Caulfield Guineas Day at Caulfield. We'll talk a lot about that in the next hour or so. Regular panellists, Ben Dorries not too far away. Ray Thomas joins us and, of course, later in the program, Ben Scannon and Colin McNiff. And I want to have a chat with Cameron Partington uh, during the middle part of the, the program today about a few burning issues for Queensland trainers that are going to be discussed this afternoon. We'll talk about that more later on. You know the drill, always key to hear what you think. If you agree or disagree, you might have some news. You'll certainly have some views. Happy to hear one way or the other, and you know the drill. 0499 punter. that's 0499 786837. 0499 786837. Of course, you can tweet me at Radio Tab Oz. The podcast out each week. Go to the link on Radio Tab Oz or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press Room each and every Monday, right back since September 2015, is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, did Romantic Warriors unplaced Turnbull Stakes run at Flemington on Saturday dispel a myth about Hong Kong racing? With the whirlpool operating on this event, two million in the paramutual wind pool and not much less in the Dewitt and the Quinella, most of that cash was riding on Romantic Warrior in one form or another. Such was his dominance in the tote market. Gold Trip paid at least $11 more on the Victorian tote compared to New South Wales and Queensland. Hong Kong racing has always had a certain mystique about it. You know yourself. Many putters are climbing up and down the wall waiting for the Sunday uh, afternoon first race at Chartin to start after they've had their Wednesday night fix at Happy Valley. Many others couldn't give two hoots about Hong Kong racing, which is the group I count myself in, but look, to each his own. And to be fair, with the consistent pool of horses, jockeys and trainers, putting can obviously be profitable. But this pool certainly also has created what I've heard termed a few times over the weekend, the Hong Kong bubble. In other words, they look like the ants' pants in their own world, but rarely do we see them venture outside of the bubble. Romantic warrior and trainer Danny Shum dared to do that, and the result is in. The same argument has been posted in regards to their top-flight sprinter, Lucky Swain S. Zach Pern, for example, gave an excellent insight into Romantic Warrior's capabilities in media interviews in the lead-up to the turbul, and that judgment proved to be spot-on. Yet on balance, it has to be pointed out that Romantic Warrior was not going into the Turnbull in peak condition, naturally enough. It was clear he tapped out late after having a perfect run in transit. He may turn it all around come Cox Plate time, but the beat margin on Saturday suggests that won't be easy. But Romantic Warriors certainly let some of the mysticism of Hong Kong racing evaporate on the weekend. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Dorries first up with us this morning on Press Room. Ben, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David. What about this? I've been on the show for years. I've finally been promoted up the batting order, eh? To open the batting. we? It's a temporary thing due to daylight saving. <laughs> I'm sorry to break the news to you. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take it, mate. I'll take the shine off the new ball. And, and, uh, and I'm actually impressed that you are first up and sounding rather bright and chirpy after a big night at the 
Awards night last night where Uncommon James was crowned the Queensland Horse of the Year. There's another loser I've backed. I went for Kovalika, so I missed out there as well. Yeah, I thought Uncommon James was a, a pretty worthy or a very worthy winner, I've got to say. I mean, uh, pulled their pants down in the Group 1 Oakley Plate, if you don't mind, uh, down south and has performed, you know, creditably the whole way along. He was a real flag bearer for Queensland and... Uh, Fair bit of emotion, actually, from uh, Caitlin Hoisted, Matt Hoisted's, um, you know, beautiful wife last night who obviously bred the horse when she accepted the uh, the award. You know, talked about her father's, you know, battles, you know, health battles over the years and, and the various things the family's been through. So it was quite, quite an emotional moment, actually. And look, significantly as well, uh, it was revealed last night that, uh, like, it had been intended Uncommon James would go straight into the Manicato Stakes, the Group 1 Manicato Stakes, but they feel the horse is just a, just a bit well, uh, so they're going to run him, surprisingly, um, in the uh, Scalacci Stakes at Caulfield uh, on the weekend, obviously on Caulfield Guineas Day. So we will uh, get to see Uncommon James uh, on Saturday. So that'll be um, a bit of a change of plans there. So, look, I've got to say, probably a lot of the other awards... Um, you know, we're pretty expected, obviously. I mean, the, the Queensland Trainer of the Year, you know, $1.01, Tony Gollan was going to win it, and he did. Um, congratulations to Tony. Big year, obviously, for him winning, uh, well, just about, you know, <laughs> every race you could uh, you could point out in, in Queensland, but particularly, I guess, for him, uh, you know, his first Magic Millions triumph, the race at the Gold Coast Magic Millions two-year-old classic, he long wanted to win, and a special moment, too, for him winning the Wheatwood, his very first Wheatwood. It had been the the nut he couldn't crack for, for so, so long, for decades. He's, uh, and he spoke, um, you know, he spoke of his dear old dad, who Daryl Gollan, who, you know, is obviously no longer with us, and his mum. So it was quite a quite a touching little family moment for Tony Gollan as well. The Jockey of the Year went to Jimmy Orman. Uh, the Apprentice of the Year uh, went to Angela Jones. And, and look, there were some other awards on the night as well. I, I won't go through all of them here, but uh, the cutest horse of the year was Rothfire. Uh, the three-year-old horse of the year, no surprise there. The Magic Minions win a skirt the law. Your horse, uh, the horse that you thought might win the, the uh, horse of the year, the big prize, Kovalika won the three-year-old horse of the year and Uncommon James won the four-year-old <clears throat> and older horse of the year. I've got to say, David, it was uh, a good uh, night. I, I liked the way they went about it. It has been a bit long-winded, the awards night in previous years, uh, um, I think. And, and look, there's been a significant Hall of Fame component to it in previous years, inductions into the Hall of Fame, which is terrific. Uh, but it's just made the night a bit a bit long and a bit drawn out. And they've now got the, the Hall of Fame inductees. They've got their own special night and good on them. Uh, but, um, yeah, it just made, just made last night a bit more succinct, uh, a bit sharper and, and a bit more focused. And, and I thought, you know, it went really well, David. Well, they've got their own night down the Hall of Fame. When's that on, do you know? Uh, I don't. I think it might be December or January, um, but uh, look, don't hold me to that. But they do have, um, yeah, basically all the Hall of Fame inductees, which were inducted, um, yeah, generally inju- inducted in the award ceremony last night. They, they effectively get their own function at a later date. I'll follow that up. And one just thing before we go um, with uh, the awards night, and you, you've outlined uh, several of the, the key awards there, so. Um, you know, honouring horses, naturally enough, and trainers and jockeys and breeders and stallions. Why is there no owner of the year? 
Uh, yeah, I must admit I've never given it any thought, but I don't disagree with you, uh, David. I do think that owners and owners' rights, for that matter, um, you know, often pushed aside, aren't they? In racing owners, the the last people that we, you know, um, often think of, you know, we think of the trainers and the jockeys and you know even stewards and officials and whatever. But yeah, with no owners, obviously there would be no racing, there'd be no punting, there'd be no horses, there'd be no trainers, there'd be no anything without owners, would there? So. Uh, I haven't given it much thought. I've got to say it's the first time I've heard that suggested, but not a bad idea, Dave. Well, it, it's it's to me it, it's a no-brainer. I've, I've mentioned it before. I mean, we've got a trainers' association, a jockeys' association, a breeders' association. We've got an owners' association. So owners' association, why don't you kick up and speak to Racing Queensland and get an owner of the year award? In there are a lot of owners out there. Look at your race book every Saturday. See how many owners invest in Queensland racing, and they deserve to have an award for them for the money they put in uh, each and every year. So I hope that gets done for next year. I'll, I'll work on that. Hey, you created a bit just, just of a... One, just one more thing. Sorry, David. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you before we, before we end the awards. I just wanted to give a special shout-out, I guess, to... Um, well, I mean, all the award winners, but especially to Tyler Leslie, the, the young uh, jockey who, um, you know, calls Morinbar home. Uh, you know, he's making headlines for his riding now, which is terrific, because initially when he started his career, um, there was a lot of fascination um, about his life story. He was born um, a girl, transitioned to be a boy or a man now. Um, so there were plenty of stories, and I did quite a few of them at that time, uh, you know, about that side of his life, which he was happy to talk about. But he won the apprentice jockey title for the, you know, the country premiership. He spoke very, very well um, last night, and he's being noticed by all the right people, I believe, uh, he will be switching soon to do some work for Desley Forster, um, perhaps at the provincial level. So, look, he's a young man going places, very hard worker, and congratulations, Tyler Leslock. And just before we go, and I've got to give you a wrap, and I should have done this yesterday, and, and this you did do well. Remember last Sunday on Past the Post, not yesterday, Sunday week we spoke with Stuart Kendrick. He nominated two horses out of all of those horses he had, and then you said, put Antino in as well, and take the, the multi, take the all up. They all won. Mate, I've got more money than the king at the moment. If anyone out there wants a loan, um, just uh, just come and see me. I'll, uh, I'll you know, 20% interest or something, probably maybe 25% on a daily basis. But, uh, yeah, happy to provide a loan to anyone who wants one, including you, David. Well, according to Gay Waterhouse, a lot of uh, racing people might need a loan off you to get into the races and, and spend money at the races because <laughs> she, wasn't ba- she wasn't backward in coming forward during the week saying that race clubs need to have a look at not charging admission or even lowering uh, you know, food and beverage prices. And it got a lot of reaction on Racenet. Oh, well, not only Racenet, David. I've got, I've got to say, I've had more reaction to this story than any story I think I've written you know, this year, uh, if not in several years. I've had so many phone calls, emails, messages, people coming up to me and, and talking about it and taking you know, one side or another. But basically, the, the, the basis of it was it was actually sparked... Um, believe it or not, by um, you know a conversation we had with Gay uh, on Past the Post um, a couple of Sundays ago, when she mentioned we, we asked her about the the open days, you know, at Flemington, letting letting fans into the stables and having selfies with the horses and whatever, and she sort of mentioned in passing that, that you know the, the she thought ticket prices were ridiculous to get into the races, etc. And, and she didn't really we didn't have time to delve into it on the show, but look, I, I sent her a message and I said, Gay, look, I, I think you're a would think her about things. I'd love to have a chat to you about this. And she said, yeah, sweet as a nut. She said, I'll be in the car tomorrow. Uh, give us a call. So I did. And look, she went right off, really. I mean, she said, 
she really railed against the cost of um, you know admission to the races, particularly taking families to the races. Um, and she said food and drink prices were, were exorbitant in many cases. And I'll just read you some quotes rather than me summing it up. I mean, she said, I don't think that race clubs realise you can go into a pub, you can watch the races on your phone, you can watch them from home. Why would you come to a track when you're going to be charged for entry? If you take a family, it will cost a small fortune. Then there's the food and the drink. It's expensive. It's ridiculous. It's $11.50 for a beer. Why not just go to McDonald's, get yourself a burger, and go and watch the races in the pub? And look, she said a lot more things, but that's sort of the context of it. Mm. And look, I've had racing clubs from all over Australia ring me about this sort of blowing up. And look, there are some holes in Gay's argument. I've got no doubt. I mean, one of the things she said, you know, referenced uh, clubs, you know, receding wagering revenue well that, that's not quite the case it goes to the you know the pra's you know racing queensland etc cetera, etc cetera. but look one thing i would say i mean I, 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 hands up here i love gay i think she's a national treasure i think she's absolutely bloody fabulous for racing there should be more of her not everything she says is 100 percent right and in this case she may have got a few things wrong but when someone of her profile and i would suggest that she is in the top three or four australian racing identities of all time when she says this and you have the reaction, you only have to look at the comments and the feedback on social media and, and the, the story on RaceNet. It is 100% of people saying, good on, guys, she's 100% right. Well, if you're a race club, I mean, you can make all the excuses you want. And, yes, there are some very, very valid reasons why you may not be able to, to open you know, the gates for free and, and all that sort of stuff for, for some of the year or part of the year. But you just can't ignore this, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, <laughs> you just can't sort of... Put your head no. in your hands and say, oh, you gay silly, what would she know? Which, which actually has been the reaction from a lot of people in club land. So, look, I think... Go on. I think historically, um, we, we have to look at the, the, the period of time. Race clubs charged admission in years gone by because there was an extra to go to the races, and that was the bookmakers were there. Now... In the old days, I'm to, I can only go back as far as the 60s, but there were three ways to bet. You either went to the tab, which had just come in in most states during the 60s, and you were then asked to leave. You weren't asked to, you certainly weren't encouraged to hang around. There was no television then. Radio was the only outlet. You could bet with your SP booking, which was essentially illegal, but that happened. But the other avenue was to go to the races and bet with the bookmakers, and there were hundreds of them, and that's why you paid to go into the track. Now, over time, we've seen with technology and the like, things change where you don't have to be at the races to have a bet. Now, I, I do think that clubs can come to a sensible centre here. I think they are entitled to charge admission on certain race days when, you know, they're big race days or they might have promotions on. But there are some days where maybe they don't need to charge admission. So would you agree that there can be like a, a compromise of sorts? Well, I couldn't have put it better myself, though, but I 100% agree. And don't forget, if you know, if you are not charging people on the quieter days, I mean, you, you potentially, well, I mean, you don't get the gate receipts, but you, you know, potentially lessen your own costs. You don't have to employ as many staff, obviously. So, look, uh, it's an interesting debate. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I guess I gravitate towards we just can't close our eyes and say, oh, oh, this is gay going off, this is ridiculous, what would she know? I mean, what would she know? I mean, she would know a hell of a lot more than most of us, including me. And I just think there's so much competition, isn't there, for racing from other sports, but also from pubs and clubs. I mean, if you're a kid with, 
you know, a 21-year-old kid with 100 bucks to your name and you want to have a bet, you're far more likely, aren't you, in this day and age to go down to the local pub or, or club you know, where you don't have to pay to get through the door. You might be able to get a chicken schnitzel for $10 and, and, and a cheap beer. So, look, um, it's an interesting debate anyway, don't it? Yeah, no, a, a, a good point and I suppose comes more under the spotlight. It's rather a current issue with the cost of living that, uh, you know, families particularly, and we're trying to get families to the races, you know, when they're slugged, uh, you know, high prices for, you know, low-rent food, it, it does hurt the kick. Hey, just before you go, by the way, you, you've got a fan with, with Tony. Tony was the one who came to say congratulate Ben for what he did last week. Now he wants more tips from you. I'll pass his number on to you. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah. Tony. Yeah, no, tremendous. No problem might be Tony Partridge. Yeah, Tony Gollan, maybe. <laughs> it could be. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, qu- quick one before you go. You've got uh, two horses you love, Antino, Amelia's Jewel. They're going to clash in the two racks today. Which way are you going? Oh, it's like tr- trying to work out which of your kids you like best, isn't it? Although I can actually tell you which one of my kids I like best. So I won't reveal that on here. But, um, oh, look, I-, I guess you've just got to wait for barrier draws, don't you? Um, and all that sort of stuff. Caulfield, obviously, is a tricky track as well. I mean, potentially for both of those horses, Caulfield could create a few issues. So... Look, I think it's just a race we've just got to sit back and enjoy. I reckon the, the build-up will be great. I mean, Tony Gollan and Simon Miller are very, I think, similar characters. Although mm. t- Tony told me last night, actually, he's, I put this to him. He said, I'm a far better drinker than Simon Miller. I could drink him under the table, which I'm no doubt, no doubt he probably could. But, look, they're colourful characters, both of them. Uh, Simon Miller, what I, I think the theatre and, and everything he's done with this horse has been fabulous. Tony sort of sailed under the radar a bit with Antino. I mean, look, it was a tradesman-like win last start. I mean, it wasn't a win that sort of said, I want to back this horse in a Group 1. But Tony's point is the horse, A, has improved, and B, it's just sort of a horse that needs, just does what it has to. You you know what I mean? So I've got no doubt it will be a terrific clash. Uh, Barriers, I think will potentially be a key in how the races run. But oh, I, just, I might not even have a bet in the race, to be honest. I'm just looking forward to watching it, along with, uh, obviously, the Caulfield Guineas and the Everest on Saturday, David. Good on you, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, mate. Bye. Ben Dorries joining us from News Corp. Uh, Amelia's Jewel, I reckon she was black figures yesterday for the two-rack on tab fix. She's now in the red ninety, and Tino at four fifty. pride of Jenny at eight. And, of course, the Caulfield Guineas. Is the the main group one middle of the rise two eighty will clash with Step Artie. This is Sydney versus Melbourne three fifty Step Artie King Colorado at eight dollars. That's all happening at Caulfield, but of course it's Everest Day at Royal Randwick this weekend. Ray Thomas now joins me. Ray, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. I was just thinking, uh, probably something that we actually haven't discussed before, but it, it's worth a a point to to step off with. We used to have. Uh, what what's Sydney's biggest race day? Like in years gone by, uh, pre Everest was a Golden Slipper day, was a Doncaster day. Um, uh, I, yeah, is, is, say, is the yeah. is Golden the Everest our biggest race day? Definitely now, uh, David, without a doubt. Um, in terms of the the interest that that the race generates outside of that the mainstream racing media, um, plus the, the the betting goes through the roof. It's the biggest betting day in Sydney racing now. And the crowd. There's some talk that 50,000 plus will be at Randwick on Saturday. That's been a long, long time. I think the last time we had over 50,000 at Randwick was Octagonal's Derby back in 1996. And Mm. there's some suggestion that figure was inflated that day. But 
um, these days um, the figures aren't inflated. So to answer your question, definitely Everest Day over probably Golden Sipper and, and Derby Doncaster Day. Tab fixed, I wish I win currently $4. Imperatrice still sits there at $4.40. Uh, we've got, think about it, at $4.50. Buenos Notches, the tab rep, the tab uh, slot holder, Buenos Notches at $8. Then there's this cluster, Cylinder 11, mm. Hawaii 5013, Espiona in secret, overpass 15, Shinzo just behind them at 17, and Mazu at 26. I've mentioned 11 runners because... You longer yet to decide on their horse for their slot, and well, when I say time is running out, we're now counting down hour by hour because they have to make a decision by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Correct, yeah, and they might wait until then. Um, I, I spoke to Adrian Bott late yesterday, the trainer of Alcohol Free, who you long own, who everyone expects will be you long's choice, but he's none the wiser. He has been sending. Yulong, all the necessary information in relation to alcohol freeze, track work, etc. since her fourth from the Premier Stakes. But um, it, it's intriguing, isn't it, David? Something is going on behind the scenes. And you mentioned that Everest market. The tab has not taken Imperatrice out. Um, if you remember when Alligator Blood was one of the favourites for the King Charles, but the stable said the horse isn't going there, immediately taken out of the market. It hasn't been the case with Imperatrice, even though the connections have said they're staying in Melbourne. So it's fascinating. That's part of the intrigue of this race, the twists and turns, David. It's an interesting point you make because um, there's been general chatter uh, you know, within the Beltway that the Imperatrice t- team were driving too hard a deal um, and... As well, they've committed themselves to Moya, ticked off, and then Manicato. Mm-hmm. But uh, two things about Yulong, they've got plenty of money and they love mares. <laughs> so, it, so exactly. Ma- ma- maybe Yulong is the right yeah. slot holder to, to, to influence the Imperatrice team to change tack and head up to uh, Sydney Town. Yeah, I guess will we, will we know today, who knows, but we'll definitely know by tomorrow morning, as I said, the 10 a.m. deadline. So... Um, it is intriguing, and just the fact that that chatter is still there, and she's still in the, the Tab Everest betting, which is extraordinary. But um, it's shaping up as some race, isn't it, David? So final field at ten tomorrow. What happens with the barrier draw? Yeah, tomorrow night. Um, once again, um, Sydney Harbour will be the site of the barrier draw um, on the yacht that race in New South Wales used last year. I think it's called the Jackson, and. Uh, um, a trek to the Everest on uh, Sky Thoroughbred Central will be shown live from 8pm tomorrow night, David. And and I don't know what Racing New South Wales has planned, but last year it was that drone show, which was spectacular. Something similar, but with a, a different twist. So looking forward to it tomorrow night, because that's been one of the real highlights of Everest week has been the barrier draws and how... They've chopped and changed and been different every year, but always spectacular. The barrier draw, of course, will will um, probably reshape the market to what degree mm. uh, depends on, on the draw. It will also give us a better idea of the map of the race. But I've got to say one thing, Ray, even regardless of barrier draw, I'm looking at a horse, I'm saying maybe he's not the best horse in the race, but conditions may favour Overpass, who seems to be one of the few speedrunners of the race. 
and probably the only one. And he is the designated leader. I think even rival trainers are, are deferring to overpass to lead. Um, most of us have cylinders sitting outside overpass, but James Cummings wasn't exactly certain that would be the case, depending on where cylinder draws. Um, obviously, most trainers are hoping to draw a favourable barrier closer to the inside than the outside, but talking to Peter Moody yesterday, he, of course, trains the favourite I wish I win. He's got the totally opposite view. He wants to draw a wider barrier because he mm. doesn't want to see I wish I win locked away on the fence if he draws gate one back midfield or worse. So um, I'm certain the barrier draw, as it does every year, will influence the market tomorrow night. Um, if I wish I win draws, say, outside 10, probably ideal for him. He can get in that um, three wide running with cover and then get to the outside like he did in the TJ Smith, where overpass draws, I guess it doesn't matter too much, Dave, because you've got that brilliant tactical speed. And as you mentioned, he's probably the only leader. So he'll jump, run and go to the front and... Talking to Bjorn Baker, most of us have um, overpass and Josh Parr then stacking them up and turning to a sprint home. Bjorn's the opposite. He wants the genuine tempo because that's how overpass races best. So it's going to be fascinating, David. Certainly is. We've got the inaugural running of the $5 million King Charles III and Mr. Brightside, a deserved and logical favourite, $2.40 with Fangirl 6, Light Infantry 7. And Zaki, it's going to take a good horse or a good performance or an outstanding performance to knock off Mr. Brightside. Ray, the form can't be ignored. Not only this yeah. campaign, but previous campaigns. He's he's going. He, he looks bulletproof, and he looks to have gone to another level. And he's beaten Alligator Blood a couple of times this spring. Alligator Blood has since Frank mm. that form winning a Group One himself. And I know he's coming back to Sydney with two Doncasters already to his name. But talking to people like Ben Hayes who co-trains Mr Brightside and the jockey Craig Williams I think he's even a better horse now Dave, which is some statement he you're right he's a complete racehorse he, he he doesn't have any faults as he's got tactical speed he can position up he can accelerate off slow or fast tempo so as a wait for age horse he's absolutely the perfect package and I guess if he wins this race on Saturday which is the old George Main so it's got the group one status next to its name the debate must start to come as to where he ranks amongst the all-time great milers. I know it's um, still early days in his career, but he's won two Doncasters. He, he's so effective at a mile, and uh, he, he wins handicaps or weight for age, and he seems to be getting better. So uh, he's a real highlight on Saturday watching that King Charles, which is going to be a great race. Saki is absolutely flying. He had a gallop between races um, last week at, and the holiday Monday meeting. He is going great guns, Aki. Fangirl gets the dry track. We're going to have a week of lovely weather in Sydney. That's when she performs best. Light Infantry is settled back in well at Canterbury. Kovalika was enormous in the um, last start in the Epsom. Probably should have won. Think it over the old warrior is there. Some race, David. It certainly is. And just before you go, we haven't talked much about the Kosios game. We've got 14 to run here. $2 million purse. Opal Ridge has been set for this race first up. She's tab mm -hmm. fixed favourite at three fifty. Far too easy. Set for this race first up four sixty. Yeah. Front page first up. Set for this race six dollars. Derry Grave is the runner in form who has race fitness, mm -hmm. but going up a few grades at seven dollars. And Mogo Magic another one first yeah. up after not a long break at seven dollars. But not only are they all first up; they're all guns first up as well. 
Yeah, um, gee, it's a good race, isn't it? Those top five dominate the betting. It's three fifty Opal Ridge, as you said, seven dollars the longest of those five. Derry Grove and Mogo Magic. Um, Derry Grove, I know he has to, as you mentioned, take that step up, but he has just been so impressive, hasn't he? Just willing off those highway wins with just cantering up the rise on the Nashville and then unleashing this devastating sprint. But um, that he has got Jerry Grove, so he's got the form, he's got the race fitness. But those four you mentioned, Opal Ridge, far too easy, front page and Mogo Magic, brilliant sprinters. As you said, they're renowned first-up specialists. Um, I think it's the best Cosy Oscar we've had, David, and those top five are, uh, are outstanding horses who are competitive, I would dare say, at stakes level. Apparently there were some fitness concerns with Mogo Magic uh, late last mm. week, but I believe all is okay, but we'll let that Correct. pan out. Cam Partington is about to join me, but, Ray, just the last uh, point I want to make, and I'll just read out a table of figures. We're only a few months into the racing season. This is the uh, Sydney Metro Jockeys Premiership. Nashra Willen, 19. James McDonald, 17. Tyler Schiller, 17. Jason Collett, 16. Zach Lloyd, 14. Adam Hieronymus, 12. That tells me two things. One... This is going to be a very competitive season as far as Metro riding is concerned. And two, Nash Ramilla has really thrown his hat into the ring to say, I want to win this premiership and beat J-Mac. Another uh, feature race treble last Saturday at Rose Hill. He, he's just riding probably in career best. Of course, James did have virtually a month off through September with that foot injury and rode last Saturday um, in Melbourne. So he'll be up and back a fair bit during carnival time right through the season in interstate. But you'd still have him as favourite. I think the trainers' premiership is intriguing as well, David, because as we speak, we're into October now. Two months are gone and Talek Lodge, Gaywood House and Adrian Bott still in front by two wins over Chris Waller, 23 to 21. I can't remember the last time Chris Waller hasn't led going deep into a spring carnival uh, in the Sydney trainers' premiership. Busy week for you, Ray Ahead. Uh, we'll talk next Monday, post-Everest. Thank you so much, David. There is Ray Thomas from the Daily Telegraph and Sunday Telegraph, their racing editor. I don't want to get into a stash about who plays the most important role in racing because everyone plays a role. We all know that. But I will say one thing, and I think this can't be argued. I think trainers bear the most responsibility in racing from the point of the horse in their care with their considerable staff, and that's worth keeping in mind, considerable staff looking after the horse at the stable, making sure it works well and is prepared well for the race, having it right on race day, liaising with owners, and, and also bearing a lot of costs as well. Trainers, uh, South East Queensland trainers are meeting today at Dooman uh, early in the afternoon to discuss what I described at the top of the show as a couple of burning issues. I wanted to expand more on it because this is interesting. Cam Partington joins me on Press Room now. Cameron, good morning. Good morning, David. Thanks for having us and thanks for your words about the, uh, the obviously the uh, trainers input into racing. It's um, certainly appreciated. Is this uh, a specially convened meeting or was it always happening? We have a the ATA has a, a regular sort of a meeting, sort of quarterly, six monthly, um, where we get all together, and usually it's to you know obviously meet in this case meet a new CEO as well. I mean Jason Scott's been there a few months now, but we haven't had the opportunity for all the trainers to to meet and, and listen to his vision and future plans for our industry. So it's certainly a, a meeting that's you know coming around on a regular basis, but this one was um, look was always going to be on. It's just the work cover issues that this time of year these trainers get their work cover invoices. David, it's when it hits home, the sort of costs for this. And every year it just gets higher and higher. So this time every year I get the phone calls, I get all the 
the comments I get all the concerns and we, we in the past we've spoken to Racing Queensland about it just about you know yearly and every time we would get yeah look something's got to be done but unfortunately very little's been done and it's not a lot of fault for anyone because there's not a, an easy solution if there was an easy solution we would have done it by now David so but we've got some other you know ideas and Jason Scott the new CEO is very committed to wanting to come up with something because you realise that you know there's there's a big problem there and if we don't do something we're going to lose trainers. Can you put a bit of meat on the bone for my listeners out there who may not be even aware of what goes on here? So I, I know some listeners will have read the story of David Van Dyke on Racenet recently, and uh, when you read it, it was quite shocking or surprising the, the, the how the premium had gone up so much. Why has that happened? Basically, David, work cover is a necessary evil. We know we've all got to have it no matter what business you're in. The difference in racing is that it's such a dangerous industry, and to the point now where, you know, our, our industry rate is around 10%. The average or the standard is about one and a half to two. So we're five times dearer than anybody else's work cover. Even a work cover for sort of like, you know, a factory or a, a trade that, you know, has, you know, reasonable amounts of injuries, theirs is probably more like three or four or something like that. So it's just, and it just goes, every year it's gone up by about another 10%. So each year we just see it increase out of control. So if we don't do something about it, very soon it will become unmanageable and trainers just won't be able to afford it or, and they, obviously they have to it's it's a legal requirement or they just have to keep passing on even more and more costs to the owner down south i know in tasmania the tasmanian government's had to get involved with their with the racing industry there and actually bail it out from a wet cover because mm-hmm. their costs are just because they've got a very small pool of trainers uh, out of control down there the difference in new south wales and everyone says well what does new south wales do they self-insure themselves they were big enough and they've got a big enough treasure chest that they were able to just basically say well we'll you know just basically self-insure a bit like yourself in your own house i deciding not to have insurance because you're just going to pay the bills when they come in sure so that's what they do they recover a lot of the costs to do with the claims that they put through through starters fees and through fees for trials as well so the participants contribute to the to the pool, which helps pay all the costs of work cover, but any shortfall is covered by the administration, by Racing New South Wales. And we would love that to be in Queensland, but the appetite for our government and Racing Queensland over the, the past 10 years that we've tried to look at it is just not there. Logistically very hard to do, um, so just in the too hard basket for us to say that we're going to self-insure. So we have to work with work cover. There's no one else you can go to when you're looking for work cover insurance, and that's no different to any other business, David. You haven't got a choice. You've just got to go, well, work cover Queensland, that's who do it. Um, we want to try and get better arrangements with them, which we've been trying to do for years as well with the way they work out our premiums, but it's got to the point now where little fixes, like you know maybe having less claims and doing better, doing a better job in the workplace, all those little things will, will certainly help fine-tune it and make it better, but we need a big impact. We need something to change now. Um, and that's where we look at the industries in some way funding or helping to fund some of these costs of work cover. So that's what the meeting this afternoon is. We've got some, some you know ideas that we've given to Racing Queensland. They've got their own ideas. And hopefully between the two of us, we can come up with something that's um, much more workable. Yeah, I think it's a really important issue. Like we, we, we were talking earlier about cost of living. And, and I mean, you know, this just, just adds to that, that, that cost of living burden. Just before we go uh, go off on that and just move to a couple of other areas, uh, w- would you try and push for that New South Wales model or to uh, adopt that New South Wales model now that we have a new CEO in place? Yeah, not not the model as such, 
where it's self-insured because I mean we'd love that and we'd ask that yeah. and it's not going to happen. But a, a fee a fee fee per service type of a system, mm. there's no dramas with that whatsoever. But we've got to be very careful that we don't put that impost onto trainers that don't have a benefit of work cover. And that's where we went wrong about seven or eight years ago. We tried something similar, but we didn't consider a small trainer who doesn't have work cover. You can't ask a small trainer who doesn't benefit from work cover because he doesn't pay for it, he doesn't have any staff, he just works, he does it all himself. Mm. You can't ask him to contribute to the work cover premium of a trainer who's got 10 staff. So we've got to make sure whatever the system is, we don't impost on people who don't benefit from the actual work cover. If we keep it amongst the professional trainers and make it so that they all contribute, which is probably 80% of the of the business anyway, um, I think we will have a much better way of just considering and being fair to everybody. Jason Scott spoke with my colleague Steve Hill at some time ago and he intimated about a trial of what is described as twilight racing at the Sunshine Coast in the summer months. That's been refined to a degree, and the dates that they've come up with are January 21, February 4, February 18, February 25, and I read in one dispatch where they said it would be an hour later than is, is normal. But this is an issue that has attracted the trainer's attention, and this will be discussed today. Yeah, David, it will. And look, fortunately, there's been a bit of a fine-tune, and you've got the right numbers there. Initially, it was going to be a, a, an eight-week trial, so for eight Sundays in a row, and they were talking about finishing these races closer to 7.30 and 8 o'clock in line with the last race in Hong Kong. Mm. And that became obviously a big difference, you know, um, two hours later, getting home at maybe 9 or 10 p.m. if you're you know, in Brisbane or the Gold Coast or Toowoomba. Um, fortunately, I think those numbers have now come back to around that 6.30 finish, which is about an hour later than normal. And we're only doing the, the trial for the four weeks and to see what the numbers do. And obviously, if it lines up with the good meetings in Hong Kong, um, it's just a pity we're not doing it in December for the for the one with all the Group 1s because that's when, you know, we, if we're going to do it for the industry and, you know, take one for the team, if you want to call it that, let's do it on a day that's going to get the best impact. So hopefully it lines up with the big Hong Kong meetings. And if it only, you know, we only want to be around that sort of 6.30 mark, it's a lot more palatable to trainers than 7.30. That extra hour getting home late on a Sunday night was, you know, to the point where trainers were very much against it. Um, however, you know, a bit of negotiation with RQ, and we'll talk more on it today, finishing around that 6.30 mark. Look, it won't line up with the last race in Hong Kong, but it'll be right in the meat of when the, the major betting is done, obviously, around that 6 to 6.30 p.m. mark. It sounds like a bit of heat has come out of the issue, which is, which is a good thing. We, we've just about run out of time. There is one issue that I think you will discuss today. We, we have a, a tricky situation where the 1,000-metre start at Eagle Farm allows for only 10 runners in two-year-old races, and we often, well, we, we regularly see uh, several emergencies and some balloting as well. Um, are you going to discuss that in, in also in terms of, of horses trialling, two-year-olds trialling? Yeah, definitely. We're going to look at the trialling, balloting procedure. At the moment, if you win a trial, you get basically straight into a two-year-old race. If you're in second or third, um, it doesn't help you. So we've got to look at that. And also, at the moment, if you're in a trial that's only 650 metres, it doesn't count. Well, that's the trial distance at Deegan. So, you know, yeah. what's the point of trialling there if it doesn't count? So, And then the point you made about the 10th field, that's disappointing at Eagle Farm. Obviously, it used to be 12 with the old shoot at the moment. The stewards and the Queensland Jockey Association have said they don't want to do two-year-old racing with any more than 10 runners. Um, once again, Racing Queensland will apply for an exemption to that later in the season when the horses are better educated. Um, and I know that we're going to be trying to do that for some of our races post-January. But it's, um, it's look, at the end of the day, something then happened and there was an incident. It's pretty hard to look back on and say, well, who let 12 two-year-olds out there? Well, you know, the rule was 10. And whoever that wants to take that and put that on their... Um, 
I'll head on the chopping block to make that decision takes on a big risk. So I don't think we'll see a lot of 12 horse fields, unfortunately, at Eagle Farm based on that. Gee, times have changed. I can remember I can remember they'd run 18 at the, the old 1,000-metre ship, but that's a long time ago. Minimum field policy, that's the last one I want to discuss with you. Yeah, David, look, that's, look, oh, you have to you know make money out of their racing, so they don't want to see races going around with five and six horses or even less. So you've got to start off with seven. If you start off with seven as a, a minimum, and if they're genuine seven, there's no point RQ running a race with just because it's got seven if three of them are from the one trainer and he scratches two of them race morning or you know, or there's games being played by trainers. So th- we're monitoring that all the time, and the ATA is trying to help. We want to get as many races as we can run, and if they're not run, we want them rescheduled because you can't ask a, an owner to have a horse scheduled for a race well in advance and, and get to the day and they say, oh, acceptance time, the race has fallen over, bad luck. We need to be able to make sure there's other alternatives for them. And, and you know, in the main, Racing Queensland do a very good job of that. The concerns we have is around, you know, do we really need to be so tight on it? Money's very important, but so are the owners and so are the trainers and so are the horses. And sometimes we're just going to have to run races with less than seven in them. It's that Then it becomes all, hey, why did you run that race with six, but you didn't run my race? A lot of inconsistencies in the decision making so just understanding that better and then trainers knowing that you know if they're in two races on the day they may have to be asked to just commit to one if they commit to one well then we try and run the race if they don't do that it puts us in the position of well, what happens on race day if they scratch out of the other race and, and run in the, in the in the one with the bigger field we have those situations with a five horse field so just understanding that better and and look RQ have got their job to do and, and then trainers and owners trying to put their horses in the races. So finding a happy medium is the, the balance there, David. Always good to talk. And thanks for the insight you've given us into what's going to happen this afternoon. I think what is going to happen this afternoon, you know, whether uh, things are resolutions are reached or not, discussion is always important. You've got the right people there. You've got the CEO. You've got Graham Quirk's going to be there. Josh Adams, the, the chairman of stewards. So it has the foundations for a, a productive meeting. Thanks for being with me this morning. Thanks again, David. Cheers. Cameron Partigan looking out for the Queensland trainers as part of the Australian Trainers Association. Going to go to a break just before we go. A couple of things. Leap to fame. Looks as though he is going to run in the Victoria Cup at Melton this Saturday night. Of course, he had a, an easy killer at uh, the creek on the weekend. There'd been some conjecture. Would he or would he not go? But by all reports, he'll be there. He's currently the 250 tab fixed favourite. Notice as well, interestingly... Speaking about racing Queensland, the Brisbane Racing Club will host the Australia Day meeting this year. It's been transferred from Bow Desert now. This might be on a way for more metropolitan racing at the public holidays. I know it's something that Jason Scott has looked at, has talked about. Maybe that's the first step in heading down that direction. So I think it will be Eagle Farm uh, Australia Day coming up next year. And I want to give a quick plug to our good friends at the uh, Gbung RSL now, you might recall Steve Hewlett hosted his Racing HQ show from the RSL Club a few weeks ago. Of course, they've got some great new facilities there, but they have a very special day each year, which I've been involved in for the last few years. It's their annual sportsman's lunch. The reason why this is important, it raises money for two special schools in the area. Special schools are currently under a lot of scrutiny nationwide, but um, this is a very important fundraiser. And I will say they bat above their weight, the Gbung RSL. They always get great sporting guests. And uh, nonetheless, this year with, with uh, Dave Shillington, of course, former rugby league great, and Brooke Hanson, a swimmer and Australian gold medalist, in fact, they'll both be there on the day. I'm looking forward to being there. I'm going to take my partner in crime, Ben Dorries, along with me so you can meet him and he'll sign your autographs. But the bottom line is it's on Friday, the 27th of October. It's only 
what, just under three weeks away. 85 bucks or a table of 10 for 800. That's outstanding value. And I'm telling you, the money goes to very good causes. I will talk more about this in the weeks to come. That's at the GBUG RSL on Friday, the 27th of October. Thanks for your company on Press Room this morning. A short break and then back to discuss all things in Adelaide. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. They turn for home and Wild Chap is now attacking Splash Some Cash. Hop on Harry, not usual, glorious on Francais. Then write your name, Jack the Lad Sabona. Out wide, Regalo Di Gaetano, Chicago Storm and Lord Vladivostok. On Francais took the lead. Jack the Lad chasing. Jack the Lad after on Francais. Lord Vladivostok, Chicago Storm. But it's Jack in front and Jack the Lad will land the Murray Bridge Gold Cup. Jack the Lad from either Lord Vladivostok or on Francais. Say Montine probably fourth silent Sorrento Adelaide Ace then Chicago. Well, Racing HQ Saturday listeners uh, would have been happy with that result because when we preview the meeting with Brett Davis and Nadia Horn, Brett made Jack the Lad his number one selection, his best value for the day, dearly saluting at around the eighteen nineteen dollar mark, and his best trifecta was the Cup as well, and that netted around a thousand dollar return. So. Congratulations to Brett. Ben Scannon joins us now. Ben, good morning. How are you? G'day, David. Geez, Brett can um, put his cue in the rack for the rest of the year with that kind of result, oh, can't exactly. he? Nice that was a good result. Uh, and a good yeah. result, too, for uh, uh, Glenn Kennan and Wayne Francis. This is this is only Jack the Lad's second preparation for them. He, he had a, a brief yeah. summer campaign, but he seems to have gone to a new level this time around because he won a race at Morpherville back in late July, but... Then he's run really well and, and, of course, second in the Balaclava Cup and then and narrowly beaten by Iron Cloud and then winning the Murray Bridge Cup. So he's gone to a great level. Yeah, he has. He's been super those past two runs in particular, as you said, the Balaclava Cup and the Murray Bridge Cup. Um, he was initially a very high-priced yearling purchased by Guy Melcaster for uh, for the Chris Wallace Stable. I think it's 575000 He's He's buying an invincible out of a bit choice mare, so beautifully bred and, um, you know, had moderate success, I think it's fair to say. With Chris, he was OK. Um, good, consistent kind of horse. But, um, yeah, the the Wayne Francis Glen Kent stable picked him up online for 30000 He's only had, uh, I think it's about nine starts for that team and he's um, he's now won those couple of races and I think it's around about 130000 So he's, a, fair to say, he's a long way ahead. And the way he's racing at the moment suggests he's going to add to that without any doubt. Those past two runs in particular, those country cups, he's been super. The Balaclava Cup, he's unlucky that day. He's really good. And then um, he's a really strong winner of the Murray Bridge Cup. I heard Glenn talking after the um, after the race and said they initially thought they were going to send him to Flemington for a benchmark 80. But then they um, after the Balaclava Cup, the luckless run of the Balaclava Cup, they thought, well, We've got to go to Murray Bridge and have a crack at that race, and it, it certainly paid off for them. I think it's important to you. You mentioned he was uh, purchased online. Uh, I think it's important for for the, the big stables like Waller, like Godolphin, uh, even going back to the times of Lloyd Williams with his horses, that horses can be purchased out of those stables and still get results. And I don't think uh, I think people like you know Waller and, and, and James Holmes are happy for those results because. There's an avenue there for those horses to be, you know, go to lesser races, uh, adopt a different uh, training philosophy, and this is a great case in point with Jack the Lad. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you're completely right. Those bigger stables, they they, um, have a... You know, huge pool of horses, and, and a number of those horses may not be at the level that the owners need, like in terms of they might have an expectation of having, um, 
you know, like Sydney City class horse or group class horses. And if horses are just a rung below that, um, I think they're, they're more than happy to, like, get, as we said, offer them for sale online potentially. Um, and there's always something left in the tank with those horses as well. So um, for them, it's very positive because it's, an, it's another arm of their business. There's a way to to allow those horses to continue their, their career in a, in a different operation and, you know, in this instance, move to a state where that, that a stable wouldn't generally race their horses like South Australia. So it's, um, I think it's it's positive all round and obviously a great result for the owners of, uh, of Jack the Lad this time. We've given the horse a wrap, we've given the trainers a wrap and we <laughs> have to give the jockey a wrap as well, Justin <laughs> Potter, because it was a big day for Harry on Saturday. Yeah, massive. And he, um, look, Justin Potter is one of the the most popular jockeys in South Australia. He's been around for a long time, works incredibly hard, got a great association with a lot of trainers, especially around um, Strathalbyn and Murray Bridge. And, um, yeah, it was a big result for him winning on um, winning on Jack the Lad for, uh, for Glen Kent and Wayne Francis. And another significant moment for him as well was the... Um, was the winner a little earlier in the day on Jay Week for his father Bruce. So Bruce trains not many, one or two horses. Um, sources, I, th- I think, at one stage was around about two hundred to one, but got the job done. And Potsy was talking after the uh, Murray Bridge Cup and, and said that it was undoubtedly one of his his best days in racing. And that's saying something. He's won some won some um, black type races along the way, but um, yeah, this is a day he he'd remember forever. So it was um, yeah, fantastic result and very popular result as well. Because as I said, he's a he's a he's a very very much loved figure in racing here in South Australia. In the old days, if bookies were feeling a Murray Bridge, it would have been what the, what we would describe in the old days as a fill up. That was a hundred and fifty one dollars that that uh, winner <laughs> Jaywick. But other winners on the day eleven dollars, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, twenty. So it was uh, not the best day for punters. Uh, Caravas uh, won the inaugural Mirundi Classic, a filly by Alabama Express, raced by Neville Morgan and for Richard and Chantel Jolly, and the stable have a good opinion of it. Yeah, absolutely they do, and I think it's um, Alabama, Alabama Express's uh, first winner. He um, He's there standing for a year long, and um, Alabama, um, this Philly Caravas was a was a pretty expensive um, yelling person. I think she was a she was two hundred sixty thousand bought at the England's Premier Sale, and continues this amazing relationship that um, Richard and Chantel Jolly have built up with Nev Morgan as an owner. Nev's had some um, you know wonderful horses for the for Richard and Chantel Jolly. Kemal Parser, I guess, is is the most obvious one. Um, Caracazoo is another very good quality horse as well. And Caravas, she looks like a, a filly who's certainly going places. Look, these 900 metre early season two-year-old races, you need to take those results with a grain. Of, <coughs> pardon me, with a grain of salt. But I think Richard Jolly has certainly said he's got got a very good opinion of this filly. Says she'll go on and win much better races than this. So it was a it was a great kickoff point, and again, just another um, another continuation of the uh, success that that, that team has had. <laughs> Colin McGiff's about to join us to round our press room, but just a quick one regarding Caitlin Jones. Yeah, no, look, she, Caitlin, Jane must, Caitlin Jones must be one of the most unlucky jockeys in Australia, it seems. She's uh, she's had just a terrible, terrible run of bad luck. She had back injuries, she had shoulder injuries, and, and look, she was involved in a track work incident at, um, at Morphville on Tuesday, and bad news is she ended up with a, a broken tibia and um, some damage to the ankle joint as well. She's they're saying at this stage that she won't be back riding track work for uh, for around about six months. But she's very much a glass half full kind of person. So, um, you know, Carlos just said, well, it's just another another setback. I'll be back. 
and I'll be riding winners again before you know it. So she's, um, you know, she's maintained a very positive um, uh, mindset towards this. And look, she will be back, and I'm sure she will be riding winners. But yeah, incredibly bad luck for her. She's just had so many of these setbacks over her career. Ben, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, David. Ben Scanlon joining us. Let's go straight to Colin McNiff. And Colin, the first uh, statement I put to you, what's happened now? Yeah, the uh, Scott Brunt and Tegan Key stable, well, now they've found themselves with four months disqualifications after incurring the wrath of the stewards in New South Wales when the inevitable was there to, to run in the Epsom handicap. Um, Keys uh, had some conditions placed on her when they took the horse there by New South Wales stewards, one of those being that she was not allowed to ride the horse in track work, which she did, and uh, Scott was found to be in charge of the horse as a suspended trainer. So, yeah, they had to front the stewards there and both disqualified for four months, and uh, John Keyes, uh, Tegan's father, who's a, a trainer, had to make a, a rush trip to New South Wales to uh, take over the training of the horse who ran very unluckily, I must add, in the Epsom Handicap and uh, will now head to the Turak Handicap uh, at Caulfield uh, this Saturday. Yeah, and um, you're right, he, he didn't have the best of paths in the strand of the Epsom. Mm. I think he ran officially, he might have been eighth, but he was only just well, less than three lengths from the winner so, and, and, was, yeah. and was finishing off well. Yeah, checked um, probably at the 800 metre mark, lost his position and then uh, a check had run in the home straight and probably finished off uh, better, as good as anything in the race, to be honest. So, yeah, on paper probably didn't look much, but if you look at the replay, he was he was mm. pretty unlucky. He should have finished a lot closer. Speaking of horses, Turk Warrior's got a new trainer, is that right? Yeah, this has come as a bit of a shock to his former trainer, Glenn Stevenson, who uh, found out when the story was posted on the Taz Racing website last week... Uh, yeah, this uh, horse, Turk Warrior, as you know, was a, a, an outstanding uh, juvenile, two and three year old, and is still one of the best sprinters in the state. Hasn't been seen for some time. He won the carpet charge at Devonport on Cup Day. Uh, was unplaced in the Hariba Stakes at Mornington. Has been spelling since. But Winter Drew Tyson, uh, as Glenn Stevenson would tell you, as he thought uh, for some pre training, but uh, the connections have decided to leave it there, and Drew Tyson is now the new trainer of the inevitable. Okay, just in closing, of course, night racing has kicked off. Uh, highlights from Lonnie on Friday night? Yeah, we're back there on Friday night for the first of 20 meetings under lights. We're having seven Fridays and 13 Wednesdays. Uh, Erica Byrne-Burke, uh, a winning treble. Gee, she's riding well, uh, the young Irish apprentice. She's a non-claiming apprentice now, so riding against the uh, the senior jockeys on level terms. Only she rode three winners. Troy Baker to Anthony Darman and we saw a nice horse, one of the winners for Erica, Star Darmus. It was a pickup ride, as a matter of fact. First starter, a three year old for John Blacker. One really nice and John thinks it might develop into a, a Guineas horse. So we'll we'll keep no, uh, a note of uh, how it uh, goes in this next few starts. And we're back racing under lights this Wednesday night. Thanks, Colin. Cheers, David. Colin McNiff joining us on Press Room. That is Press Room for Monday, the 9th of October. As we said, a big weekend coming up. One of the biggest with Everest Day at Royal Rambic and Caulfield Guinea Days at Caulfield. And Steve Hiller will have loads of information regarding both of those meetings right through this week on Racing HQ. Thanks for your company. Look forward to being with you again next Monday. Bye-bye.